welcome back to another episode of the Northeastern Data Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Weiss, and today we'll be joined by Brian Traumann, who is over at KPMG and is the CDO. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give us an introduction on who you are and what you do over at KPMG? Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm Brian Traumann. I'm the Chief Data Officer for Tax at KPMG. I've been doing this for about two years. I've been a tax lawyer for a law firm and uh, and this accounting firm for 20-something years. Uh, my focus right now is on reusing data, uh, whether that's third-party data or our own data, our clients' data. How can we use that for purposes other than simply delivering tax returns and other similar things that we're engaged to do? How do we help companies find opportunities they didn't even know about? Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today, um, maybe a bit of a career path. Sure, I can do that. So I, I'll i leave out the part where I thought I was going to be an architect, uh, <laughs> but ended up being a, a tax lawyer. Uh, I started doing tax controversy or fighting the IRS and other tax authorities all around the world. And, and certainly I used data in some ways to achieve my goals there, but it wasn't really until I started leading part of my practice here at KPMG I was leading the transfer pricing group. I guess what group isn't so relevant, but uh, a group of many, many employees and partners. And it's difficult to run a business without having a good sense of of the data that underlies it. Why are some partners successful in meeting their uh, revenue goals and others aren't? Why are some achieving profitability goals and others aren't? How are some people able to take different opportunities out to their clients and and others aren't. And so trying to do that for even just at the partner level, 50 partners at a time, it's incredibly time consuming if you've got to gather all that data by phone calls. So I started gathering it from our internal systems, you know, trying to find patterns in the types of projects, the revenues, the profitability, the utilization, or how many hours people are spending on things and what arrangements with the clients governed those things. And that way I could focus on learning the successes of our most successful folks, using that to help the people who needed the most help, rather than just doing a lot of information gathering and not having time left to do anything else. So that led to really a data-led, data-focused decision-making. And when leadership started changing around and they wanted a greater focus on data and what it could do for the business, they asked me to step out of that role and into the chief data officer role. That was about two years ago. What strategies have you employed to democratize data literacy? I mean, that's a big umbrella term, but it's something that we've seen across every organization in every field. And what are the biggest challenges you've felt or faced throughout implementation? Sure, there's a ton of challenges. So we recognized, I guess it's about, Five years ago, we put it into place, which means we recognized earlier than that, that we needed to be more data focused on on everything, finding new services, helping our clients, uh, presenting things in different ways to better lead to consulting or even just more efficiency in what we were doing. And so we started a training program internally that we call Digital Now, and we've started at the kind of the entry level folks, the people who are doing most of the work, as opposed to discussing with our clients. And then as they learn, thousands of our employees, we moved up to that next level, kind of 101, 201. 
and we're moving towards 301 now, which is really at the partner and managing director level, our, our senior most professionals. And it's different levels of intimacy with the different software and the data, everything from doing to managing and reviewing. It's a slower process than we'd like uh, because there's a resistance to more and more training. And so we've also started on the recruiting side around the same time. And we instituted something we call the MATA program, the Masters in Accounting, Data and Analytics. And we do it at Villanova, Ole Miss and USC, where we would essentially sponsor the students uh, where they would have a guaranteed job with us. They'd stay with us for three years and in exchange, we would pay for their tuition and get that master's program. We'd give them our software, data, help with the curriculum. And that way, at our biggest, about 80 students would be ready to hit the ground running and be kind of leaders in this area. In addition, we've got a group internally here called Ignition, Tax Ignition, similar groups elsewhere in KPMG, where those are the folks who are working with technology and data all the time. And so they're a resource for, you know, if you just want your Excel, your giant Excel model to run faster, they're the ones to fix it. You need help with visualizations, they're the ones to do it. You need to build a platform that's going to take in data from dozens of clients or hundreds of clients and, and put it through into whatever engine you have that's going to, you know, run Alteryx or Power BI or Tableau or something else. Uh, that's the group to do it. And then maybe finally, we've got you know, my data reuse focus. I'm gathering lots of data, clearing all the hurdles to using it, all the legal and policy reasons why and ethical reasons why we can and can't use data so that when you want to use data, you don't have to figure all that out on your own. I'll figure it out, put it on the shelf, and you come and take it and do whatever you want with it in the tools that we've trained you to use, Alteryx, Power BI, and others. It sounds like there's kind of two different, but both symbiotic teachings going on. One is to get data literacy across the entire organization, and then also be able to have a core competency for the organization, which can help everyone else out. I'd agree with that. That's a really interesting uh, approach because, you know, there's not only people that need to be working with the data, but as you said, there's people that need to be reviewing that and then spreading it now both up the chain and to clients. Can you talk a little bit more about how you're keeping your managers up to speed on presentation parameters and expectations when they might not have as much technical skill as these new hires that you're preparing? Some of that is going with the uh, that 201 training that we're doing with the managers. I think the biggest challenge is probably that next level, the partners and managing directors who kind of grew up with, some of them still with, you know, paper and pencil. Uh, but most of us are, we understand Excel to a degree. You know, we don't even know VLOOKUP, some of us. It's, uh, it's challenging. And there are incentives, metrics. You know, how do, we, how do we measure success of a partner? It's not just how much money you bring in. It's how profitable you are. And the profitability has to do with how much you're using data to be more efficient in your operations. The profits part, I guess you can get there with kind of standard old school lack of visualization, but you get there a lot faster, better, more successfully with visualization. So we, we grade our partners on innovation. It's difficult to measure, 
and it gets hidden in all the other things that we measure our partners for. So it's it's a bit of a slow process, and that's why I I'm not always focused in my role on making sure that all of our partners are really figuring out how to present things better. I'm I'm shoving it into their face. I'm creating it for them. For uh, take an example, I'll I'll uh, I'll take a whole bunch of data, and then I know if I were running that business, what would I do with that data to help our clients? or on our side to make money. So I'll create the visualization, say for one client, but it's the same visualization for that opportunity for a hundred clients. And I'll load it into our system so that each of the partners responsible for those clients see that they have that opportunity that they need to pursue. And I've given them the visualization to use for that. And then we grade them on how well they pursue those opportunities. That kind of gets sent out to all of their bosses. So it's somewhat out of my hands. I give them the visualization, the tools, and the rest of the business expects them to use it. And it's a cyclical cycle because now you're creating even more data on the outcomes of your data use. We've seen it time and time again, but the more data you have, the more data you create. Uh, your job is never finished, really. Have client requests, in your opinion, become easier as they have more data visualized to them? Or does the larger amount of information available to them lead? for even more complicated asks going forward? I think it depends on the client. So many companies are really at the early stages of, of accessing their data. If you go out and talk to a couple dozen companies about what do they really want to do? And remember, I'm, I'm in tax. What they, this goes for consulting as well. What they want to do is run the business. They want to help make money. They want to be integrated with other parts of the business. Nobody says what I really want to do is spend more time getting my data and understanding what it means. They already want to understand it and use it to make decisions. So a lot of them are in that spot. And so we do a, a lot of consulting around helping companies access their data and translating into whatever it is that they're looking for. And my job is to figure out, well, what, what's the common theme of what they're all asking for so that we can be really efficient at it instead of doing custom work every time. So we'll do things like we call them data hubs, where we'll take the company's data out of their various accounting systems, stick it somewhere, and then present it to them in a way where they can then take it back and, and have it help them make decisions. Or we'll build the models that'll help make the decisions for them. There are a lot of providers out there, software technology providers, Informatica and others, Microsoft, Snowflake, and, and so on, that will help more quickly access the data. But then it's left to folks like us to take that connection and turn it into value for them. More and more that's happening, Eric. There's nobody that said, great, you've solved all my problems. There continue to be questions. And sure, once we've achieved some of the simple ones, we get more complicated ones. It's like, hey, you know, build me a, a faster way to get to work than the horse and buggy, and we'll build them a bicycle. And then we build them an automobile, and now we build aircraft. It's continually an iterative process. Interesting that clients are never satisfied with work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a, that's a good thing, I guess, for, for your role especially. I want to jump back to that point that you made at the very beginning, where you feel that clients are at a point where they think that they are behind in their yeah. data usage or data visibility. Do you feel like most of these clients you're working with 
are all saying, wow, we're behind. We got to push forward quickly, quickly, quickly. But realistically, all of them are not really behind. They're all in the same kind of push. Or do you feel like there are really gaps in that knowledge? Yeah, sure. There, I mean, there are some that are at the forefront and others that are way behind. When you've got companies, I guess I won't use names, but you've got companies that are developing their own blockchain. I think that's that's incredible. And hopefully they're actually finding some uses for it. Yeah, there are, there are some that are doing it for accounting and, and their suppliers and others that are doing it for kind of the ESG side of things, tracing the ingredients in their batteries back to the source. There's some really great stuff. And then you've got others who can't figure out how to get their own data to fill in a tax return. And so I used to get, I guess it's probably two or three years ago, I used to get a dozen kind of equally situated individuals from different companies all in a room and start asking the, that question I was asking you earlier, you know, what, what would you like to spend your time on? What do you actually spend your time on? And, and how can we all learn from one another to make things a little bit easier for ourselves? And almost all of them said what I said earlier, I want to be doing consulting or, you know, the, running the business. And very few of them said, I have time to do that because I have control of my data. But there were a few that would say, you know, my finance department doesn't even know when we set up a new entity somewhere, something gets lost in the process and we don't learn about it until six months later and, and we don't have any data to, to do the compliance for it. You've got another company that says, we have a process for that. Here's what we do, X, Y, and Z. And then we set up a, an Alteryx workflow so that it automatically captures all this data and, and then we can move on to a different problem. And so I think the more advanced companies understand or take time to understand where are the, the time-consuming hurdles and what solutions are out there to make things better. Not one-off solutions, but something that's all going to tie together, like Alteryx is, is all workflows. But if you've got, at the very least, shoot, what was that called? Like, uh, is it Microsoft Project? Something where it's just basically a a bunch of boxes that say, I'm going to do this this week, I'm going to do that next week, and that's your responsibility. Even that is a good start because it's a people process that then can be facilitated by technology. And so the better companies are the ones that figure out their process and then figure out how to automate it. It seems like there's no denying a need for digital upskilling across the organization. The question that arises from that is where do you feel like the need or the push to change that comes from? Is it from the C-suite of that client? Is it from the middle management who are saying, wow, I can't do anything here? Or is it even from your end where, hey, we've looked at this problem. Both of you seem to be turning a blind eye to it. It's obviously not just one part of the three completely siloed, but where do you feel like a big push comes from? So I don't think it's really ever us, the consultants, unless we're able to say, hey, your competition is doing this. And so it's more of an idea. Well, it's not even that because there are companies that say, I don't really care what my competition is doing. I'm fine. You know, they measure me on getting my job done or by avoiding the controversy or by getting my tax returns in on time. It doesn't matter to me what the competition does. But the companies typically are constrained with resources, so they need to find a more efficient way to do things. And because they would rather be planning or running the business, they need to access their data in a quick way and have models built to understand what, you know, if the company acquires 
a new division in in Europe, what are the rules around that, and how do I how do I advise instead of just kind of comply after the fact? And so that's going to be pressure from the business who typically says, "Hey, we're buying this thing," and and tax or others, you got to you just got to get on board. And tax says, "No, hold on, I need three months to figure this out." I don't have three months, so there's a speed of business that kind of comes with it. I think that's your C-suite or the, you know, the business telling tax and accounting and finance to move faster. And then you got the constrained resources. I think those are the two main drivers. It makes sense from an economics perspective. So I like when things are time back to what I'm learning in school, at least. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I want to switch up to our audience. Obviously a lot of undergraduate and graduate students who are just looking to join the professional space for the first time. In your position as a CDO, what do you hope new graduates are learning in school? Um, what are some key areas these young professionals can focus on as they start their careers? Do you feel like there's any gaps in, uh, currently in the market? I mean, obviously you're already going out of your way to address them for yourself. Well, I think, I think the world has caught up a little bit. You know, that story I told where we started five years ago or more saying, hey, there's we don't have the right skills. Uh, and then partnering with those three universities to help teach just 80 students. That was kind of the beginning of of data and analytics education. Or you know, We did that because we wanted a greater pool from who, from which to re- recruit. There are more and more schools that are doing this kind of stuff now. I mean, your school in particular. So it's getting there, but it's really not enough. So data can do all kinds of things. It can do just about, I mean, if you know what you're doing with data, you could, you could go into any business. And so I'd, I'd ask everybody to really, I know this audience is already data-minded. If anybody happens to be listening this far into this podcast and isn't data-minded, you should get data-minded because it's going to control everything we do. It plays a part in every every industry and every aspect of those industries. But I think how do you how do you then differentiate yourself if everybody is studying data? And I think that comes from having a passion besides data. It may be processes, it may be cooking, it may be automobiles, could be anything. But that's going to make you even more valuable to your your specialized industry or what you want to do for the rest of your life. And we tend to focus on people that have, I mean, listen to master's in accounting, data and analytics. So it's a combination of data and accounting, which may not be sexy to everybody. I think it's pretty cool, mostly because I want to see if I can put the entire accounting industry at a business. We'll get there, just not not right away. But, you know, it may be that you want to do something else. Oh, I guess my point was we recruit heavily from data plus accounting or finance or economics. And so if you've got both of those skill sets, you got a leg up in coming to KPMG. If you've got, you know, you're an amateur chef and are in data, it may not be the best fit for you here, either for yourself or for us. We're looking for a slightly different skill set. Most of us are. I figure I can teach you anything, but you may not be passionate about it. So connect whatever it is you're passionate about with data and you'll have a leg up on just about anybody else in whatever industry that is. That makes a lot of sense, especially if you're able to conjoin a passion with a technical yep. skill. 
I guess is the last question I want to go into was you yourself and your perspective. I mean, you become a seasoned professional in tax law, in the finance sector, as a decision maker. How have you found your role to be rewarding and to be challenging? And as someone who's not day in, day out building AI and ML models, how are you managing your team and making these data-driven decisions? So I find it, I find it really challenging which is rewarding for me. The challenges come from all sides. I've got, you know, am I allowed to use this data? So I'm working with the risk and legal teams here. What do I want to use it for? That's the, the business side of things. Does the business actually get how far we can go with this? They do not. And so how do I kind of change that culture? You know, so many of them just want to say, ooh, we have data. Let me look at it. No, that's not how this works. What are you going to do with it? And I'll help you do it. You're not equipped to just look at 30,000 lines of data across 10,000 clients. The challenges now are going to be in how to implement this, taking the data and the insights. And then, as I was saying to you earlier, kind of pushing it out to everybody and making sure that they use it because not all of them understand the value that comes from it. So there's technology and there's, there's uh, change. So you're right. I don't have I don't have a background in technology or data. Um, I like spreadsheets. I've you know I when I was a kid I started making a list of every actor and what movie they were in and and what movies they were in with somebody else. You know I was seven and doing six degrees of Kevin Bacon plus IMDb, and then the internet took my idea. So what do I do? How do I manage a team? Luckily I've got a couple other data-focused people here who I can say, hey, here's my vision. Here's what I want to accomplish. And I know I've got to accomplish these things. There's technology, there's data, there's governance, there's the architecture, there's the business, there's profitability, there's execution, there's adoption. How do I do all these things? What, what skill sets do I need? And they say, well, you need an engineer, you need an architect, you need an analyst, you need a governance. So there's some element of that. And I spend a lot of time with them sharing my vision and asking, how does, how can you help achieve that? And so I learn things like I'm learning the difference between Power BI and Tableau and which ones can help, as well as the cost that goes with each of those, especially when I want to democratize it and roll it out to thousands of professionals. It can get pretty costly. And so I've got to do some cost benefit analysis. But I've got a lot of folks here that are able to to say, in order to accomplish what you need, you need these skill sets, these tools, these technologies. And so far, it's, it's working. That one key aspect of being a total decision maker in the data space, while also having to rely heavily on everyone that's coming with all this data, makes you, in some aspect, like the gatekeeper uh, for everything else that happens before and after. So it's a really interesting spot to be in. And I'm so sorry that IMDb took your idea. <laughs> That's all right. Sure. They did it better than, than I could have at seven. <laughs> maybe they'll give you some kickbacks later on. Yeah, maybe. I'll ask. Well, thanks so much, Brian. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Is there anything as I outro this podcast that you'd like to spread the word on over at KPMG to our listeners? Well, I don't know about KPMG, but you know it's a cool place to work with a lot of opportunities since we have a need for people who understand data and what it can do. But I'll go back to my earlier point, but forget KPMG, figure out what you want to do. Data is a way to get there. 
because every every company needs somebody with the skill sets that you guys are learning. But if you're able to connect it to how they run their business, what are they, you know, are they selling shoes or are they selling tax consulting work? Uh, you can show an interest in that. You're going to have a, a pretty good start to your career. I wish you all luck. Thanks so much, Brian. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Be well. Thanks so much. Thanks for asking me to join, Eric.